Snap Studios. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. So back in the day, for a few years, I just kind of wandered all over the world, doing part-time jobs, sleeping on friends' couches. I didn't know what I was looking for. Didn't have a lot of money for lunch or the train fare or whatever. But still, I always allowed myself one splurge. Books. I love books. I do. The smell, the bindings, the stories, the knowledge. I've purchased Buddhist texts in Korea. Books on flower arranging. Stacks, stacks of classic science fiction and fantasy. I bought books in Braille. And I can see just fine. I just like touching them. New books, old books, whole collections from a Japanese flea market. A secret, forbidden book chronicling the political history of Malaysia. Collected notes of Charles Darwin, slave journals. In Taiwan, I find an aged Chinese volume detailing the acupuncture meridians of the body in extraordinary detail. It was last printed over a hundred years ago. And because I don't have a home or whatever... I pack these treasures away. I send them to my mama's place in Grand Rapids, Michigan for safekeeping. Hundreds of books, each one with their own story of how they were bought, bartered, bet, or traded for. And they're packed away as gifts to an older me because I have a vision where I am content, happy, gray-haired, wandering through a library of my own creation, reading sometimes by myself, sometimes out loud to my loved ones. And I see this place. I see this clearly as I see my own hands. I know that someday I want my children, my children's children, their children in turn to know they can walk through many worlds. They can press through time and space if they learn to love these books as much as I do. And one day I'm sitting, eating an apple, minding my own business when I get a call from my mama. She's a deeply religious woman. Son, me and the ladies, we got to divine. And the church ladies, I hear them in the background clapping and praying. Divine. That's right. He says the devil, the devil, up in my house. Hmm. The devil, huh? Really? That's right. The devil in my home, walking around on my clean kitchen floor. We follow. His cloven hooves right through the house, over the rug, down the stairs, to see from which the evil sprang. Mm-hmm. And do you know what we discover right on top of your pile of paper? Mama? Mother. Satanic verses. Satanic verses. How you gonna bring the verses of the devil into my Christian home? Mom, um... Satanic Verses is is not what you think it is. It's a book by Simon Rushdie, and he wrote, I know what the verses of Satan are, boy. And your Satanic Verses are going to burn, just like the rest of these books. Mama, 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 leave my books alone. You can have 
Satanic verses. Thank you. I don't even like that book. But just leave everything else alone. It's got the same tank. It's going to burn the same holy fire. I just thought I'd let you know. Mama, leave my books alone. Goodbye, son. Mother. Mother. Mama. Mother. I call back. I call back again and again. And then I'm, it's like I'm standing. I'm standing in the middle of this vision of my beautiful library as it burst into flame. I feel the heat on my skin. The smoke burns my eyes. I don't call her anymore. I don't wonder if she did it. I can almost hear her Satan laughing. And then, after a good long while, I start laughing too. Oh yes, you have waited long enough. The pumpkins are carved. The scarecrows are hanging. The night has a cold bite even as the days grow shorter. Tis the season for our evil twin podcast, Spook. Real people share their brush with the supernatural. My name is Glenn Washington. Step Judgment presents Spooked, The Torment. Be afraid. story it comes to us from the other side of the world Durban South Africa where Austin Francis and his dad they're close they're tight and Austin's dad he's the real adventurous type not afraid of anything Austin wants to be just like him but he's about to learn how much there is to be scared of in this world spooked please understand our next story is terrifying sensitive listeners are advised. My dad was basically a very strong man. He was an oak. He was the strength of our family. He loved birds. He loved wild birds of South Africa. And he used to go out collecting birds in the sense trapping them, swapping them out with his friends in the bird club. That was his passion, his birds. He built himself a massive aviary. It was in the backyard, a a massive walk-through aviary. And he used to go out like 4 4 a.m. just to catch the first flock of birds that's coming in to feed on a grassland or on a farmer's patch. I I only went to do this with my dad one time and I think I must have been 10 or 11 year old. 
it, it was cool going with my dad uh, out in the dark and not knowing where we're going. I knew we were going to catch birds, but I never knew the destination. He knew exactly where to park, which fence to cross, how far in into the field he would go and perch, wait, set up his bird cages. He was just running back and forth, removing the birds from the trap, putting them in another cage, and we waited. And it went on until we had like about two cages full of wild yellow-eyed finches. It was an adventure for me. It was a little boy's adventure. Hey, we're out here in the countryside and, and we're doing cowboy stuff, I think. You know? It was cool. I enjoyed it. Uh, I was enjoying the uh, the darkness and, and, and I love the stars. It was amazing until first light. And then I realized I was on someone's farm. It was a ginger farm, and when you dug your hands into the ground, you could pick up ginger roots. And at first light, I realized that we were illegally on someone's farm catching birds. You know, so th that was my dad. He'd go all out for his birth. He would cross a river just to set up his trap cages to catch birds. That's how he was. When I was about 23, my dad used to have these night shadows. And our house was basically silent, nobody snored, and uh, it was a quiet house. <laughs> and then my dad would scream, yell. And that would, you know, shake the house up and we'd all jump out of bed to see what's going on. and he'd be yelling in his sleep. It scared both myself and my sibling. They were like horrified. What's wrong with dad? Is, is he ill or, or why is he screaming like this? And it went on for a while uh, and he never spoke of it. It sort of bugged me because I needed to know what the hell was going on. The fact that I wanted to know, it lingered in my mind all the time. But in an Indian household, it was just taboo for for kids to ask the adult question, you know. Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays were leisure days for me, myself and my friend. We'd go out clubbing. We used to club a lot.
One night, I came home just after one in the morning. I fell asleep. And I heard my dad uh, yelling. He started screaming and yelling. His screams were fearful as if he was being harmed or he was afraid of something. Uh, I sensed uh, that something was, was terribly wrong. It was not just a, a bad dream. Something was disturbing. And I thought I should stand up for him. Will Austin take on whatever or whoever is hurting his father? Find out when Stamp Judgment Spooked the Torment returns. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment Presents Spooked, The Torment. Amazing supernatural stories from our sister program, Spooked. And when last we left, Austin's father was experiencing night terrors. They'd make him scream in his sleep. The family just thinks it's nightmares. But Austin, he thinks it's something else entirely. Spooked. Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays were leisure days for me, myself, and my friend. We'd go out clubbing. We used to club a lot. One night, I came home just after one in the morning. I fell asleep. And I heard my dad uh, yelling. He started screaming and yelling. His screams were fearful as if he was being harmed or he was afraid of something. Uh, I sensed uh, that something was was terribly wrong. It was not just a, a bad dream. Something was disturbing and I thought I should stand up for him. I usually sleep with a pocket Bible on my bed. My hand reached instinctively for the Bible and it was like, here I go. I'm on this mission to confront whatever or whoever was hurting my dad. It's like I knew what I needed to do without thinking about it. I stepped out of my room. What caught my, my eye was a green luminous light that was coming from the lounge. I take two steps into the living room and 
on my right, perched within the light, was this creature. He was a big guy. He was a big, muscular guy. He had the body of a man, but his face was was that of, of a beast. Pointy ears, yeah, pointy ears, yellowish teeth, sharp teeth. His eyes were yellowish with red outlining. He had green scaly skin, you could clearly see his scaly skin. He had long dirty nails and he had a goldish bracelet on from his shoulder to his elbow. A full long bracelet. It had some kind of engravings on it. There were a little twirly kind of stuff that was on that bracelet which I could not identify. I could see his breath. If the lounge was so cold, it was a summer night. The house was not cold. We didn't have any air conditioning. The, the lounge was cold because of him. When I stepped into that living room, uh, I caught his attention and he stared me down from head to toe and, and looked at me. I had the Bible clutched in my right hand and to my side. And then he looked at the direction of where my dad was sleeping. Through the wall that divided the living room from my dad's bedroom. And when he stared in that direction, my dad began to yell and scream. In my normal state of mind, I would have brought the house down, you know, I would have sworn Jewish languages my mom would hate. But that night felt different. I was so cool, collective and knew that I had to do this. In order for me to get to him, I had to pass a, a couch that was between us, a long couch, and I walked around the couch to approach where he was. He stopped and looked at me. And he started to snarl. and grimace the much way a wild animal that, that was cornered by hunters or something would snarl to threaten you as if I'd hurt you, I'd kill you or I would attack you. I stopped halfway. He probably thought that I'm no threat to him and he continued to uh, stare to his left uh, at the wall where my dad was sleeping. It was as though he could see my dad through that wall. And when he did that, my dad instantly yelled all over again. <laughs> to think that something like this was affecting my dad, my hero, you know. I, I, was, I was upset. I was livid. I had to take that thing on. 
I continued towards him and I walked around the couch no qualms about it I walked straight up to him and I looked at him straight in the eye he snarled at me as if uh, in, in a threatening manner and showed me his ugly teeth and I didn't care because I was willing to sacrifice myself for my dad I just stated I plead the blood of Jesus and I touched him on on his thigh with the bible I heard a singe you know much where you take a hot iron and and mark a cow or something and it singed and it 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 yelped as if in pain and the lights gradually closed in on him sucked him in and shut that was it he was gone my dad stopped screaming i walked to my dad's room and he was quiet and i placed the bible on his side pedestal and i just touched his forehead to see if he was okay my dad slept soundly he was he was fine i felt immediate change in our lives because if if my dad is fine everything is good we, we we're good and i went off to my room i slept like a baby and uh, woke up the next morning in shock like what just happened my dad was having breakfast at around 9 a.m. or so and i walked up to him and said dad are you okay he said yeah what happened this morning last night and then he says uh, son every night there's this green guy that's sitting on my chest and squeezing my throat and i finished off his his statement and said a uh, green guy pointy ears gold bracelet on his arm and my dad's jaw dropped and he said what what and i said dad i confronted him this morning and he left his breakfast he said let's go to my room he said get me my diary from the from the book stand he opened his diary and he said this guy and i said yeah that's him and my dad has been making sketches of him every time he had confrontation or nightmares he would sketch him at first they were rough sketches my dad was was just trying to remember what what this demon looked like and 
he would sketch you know make wild sketches I was in awe and uh, I looked at the sketches rather in in depth he did a sketch of the demon with a bird on the left hand side f- flying away flying off and then there this like three more or four more sketches of the demon and the sketches were getting closer each day until his final sketch the final sketch of the demon was like sort of a bust version just the shoulders and chest you could see his pointy ears a sharp teeth and and his and its eyes the demonic looking eyes and uh, tap my finger on this diary and i said that's him he said just that's him that was him and my dad was he stood there in shock in, in total shock he, he never thought that i ex- uh, or anyone else would would have experienced this thing and uh, i said dad he won't be bothering you anymore i was quite confident in myself and uh, it was it was a real really good good feeling the next day my mom decided to call the pastor over to shed some light on the incident i gave him the entire rundown and he listened uh, carefully and his conclusion was that that the holy spirit came over me to protect my dad which explains why i was so calm and uh, i did not freak out in any way and why i clutched the bible it sounded a bit corny to me it wasn't what i wanted to hear his explanation didn't didn't quite gel with me this was something that i was uh, i was waiting for and all this while that my dad was having the night terrors i it it, it grew on me it, it stayed on my mind that i need to know who or what is bothering my dad and and i and i wanted to get to the bottom of it however he, he said this in closing when it's my time the same demon would come for me when i'm at my weak point or when it's time when it's my time to go cross over the demon would be there to take me that was it and he prayed he prayed for my dad and he prayed for the family and uh, he was gone the demon it never came back my dad totally stopped screaming and he was at peace afterward i know it never worried my dad again but i feel that although that he didn't return it may have had a dire effect
my dad was soon after diagnosed with cancer and it was in the last stages and it was too late for treatment and uh, he soon passed on afterwards I was raised Catholic but my grandparents my dad's mom and dad were were Hindus the tradition in Hindu culture is whereby the priests would do an exorcism on on someone that that's that's possessed or remove demons from homes and release the demon into the rivers away from basically civilization from houses and stuff like they would go off to a far river and and release the demons into into the river and my dad used to uh, those were his places to to catch his wild birds and i would assume that this is where this thing latched on to my dad perhaps the demon knew that my dad had a weakness and decided to attack him because he probably knew that my dad was dying my dad never knew this we never knew this until he got really sick I acquired a job uh, out of the province and I had to move. I was in my own place. It was two months later and I went back to the house after my dad's passing. I was hurting inside because the, there were empty spaces in that house because he was not there and it it felt hollow, it felt quiet and I stayed into his bedroom and just realized that you know he's not around anymore I walked to the lounge and I think secretly I I called out to that demon you know as if are you still around are you hiding from me did I defeat you did you take my dad I still go to the house and um, I spend some nights in the lounge, you know. I bunk on the couch sometimes just to see to get in touch or know. I I I think that's my one wish uh, is to face him head on again. If I were to see him experience him or sense him in some way I would definitely take him on I promise you that Thank you Austin for sharing your story with the spooked there's no score For that piece was by Leon Morimoto. It was produced by Zoe Ferrigno.
when we return. A mother and a daughter both know their family home is haunted, but they don't want to share that secret. Not even with each other. Spook. Snap Judgment, I'm from Washington. Today we're bringing you stories crafted in the dark of night by our sister program, Spooked. Now, have you ever heard them say what you don't know can't hurt you? Now this story, this story may make you reconsider this piece of received wisdom. We begin with Jennifer. As a parent, you always want to protect your kids. Looking back, maybe, you know, it is best to just be forthcoming and not try to protect them. When we first bought the house, um, I was aware that there had been a death at the home because my husband actually went to school with the young lady that, that passed away there, Libby. They were friends, and he would go pick her up at her house, which became our house, and they were close for a while. I did feel a little hesitant to move in because of the story he had told me. He was aware that she had passed, and there was always something kind of mysterious about her death. She died in the barn behind the home. But he did um, knock the barn down completely, and it was, he said, it's not part of the home. We remodeled the home extensively, so it felt like a new home initially. Taylor, my oldest daughter, uh, was our only child when we purchased the home. We decided because she was so little, I didn't think it would serve a purpose other than scare her if we, if we mentioned anything about the history of the home. We just wouldn't mention it or bring it up. And at first, when Jennifer and her family moved in, things were peaceful, normal, quiet. But that didn't last too long. One night, after about two years of living in the house, the family was asleep. This is Taylor, Jennifer's daughter. She was about seven at the time. We heard just the loudest crash, like there was a window shattering. And my father immediately gets up, he grabs his gun, because we're in Texas, and he starts searching the house because he thinks there's an intruder, he thinks someone's breaking in, and he looks around and he can't find a single thing. And the next morning when he wakes up, he notices that a family portrait of ours is missing from the shelf. So he goes over to see where it is, and he sees that our family photo is just has fallen face forward, so you couldn't see our faces, like someone had just pushed it over face forward, and it smashed. That's when we were first made aware that something wasn't quite right there. 
But still, Jennifer and her husband agreed they wouldn't indicate to Taylor that anything was wrong. And when they had another child, Joseph, they decided they would keep the secret from him, too. It was just a normal afternoon. We were just hanging out. And I was not feeling too good. I was napping in our bedroom. That's when Joseph came running into Jennifer's room. And woke me up and was crying. And he was very shaken. And he said, Mommy, Mommy, there's a lady in the living room. He said that there was a woman, and she had no feet. She had long, blonde, curly hair. And she was just floating across the house, and that she turned her head very sharply and just gazed at him. So he closed his eyes and started to cry, and when he opened them, she was gone. I felt pretty darn uh, terrified after that, to be honest with you. That was that that did shake me up. So I knew for sure that he was talking about Libby when he described what he saw in the living room. And he had not heard anything about the situation there. He knew nothing of it. We had never brought it up. But still, Jennifer didn't say anything. She kept quiet, year after year after year. As her kids got older, they felt more and more that something or someone was in the house with them. I've heard voices. I've heard knocking on the wall. Banging on the wall. Like someone was just banging with their fist as hard as they possibly could against the wall. But still, Jennifer didn't tell Taylor and her brother that she believed Libby was haunting the place that she believed that what the kids didn't know couldn't hurt them. And then, when Taylor was a teenager... I was laying in my bed and I was facing the wall. And all of a sudden, I feel this pressure on top of me. And I was still wide awake. And I feel this pressure and I'm just... I'm terrified. I don't know. I just can sense that something is in the room with me. And all of a sudden, I just hear this deep gasp for air. It sounded like <gasps> like someone was like dying, like taking their last dying breath. But it just happened once and then I turn my body and I see this black shadowy smoke-like mask just kind of implode into itself and then it kind of just sucks down into the ground and completely vanishes. This wasn't Casper your friendly ghost actions. This was a ghost who wanted your intention and to torment you a little. Taylor decided she would keep this experience to herself. She worried that if she said something, her parents wouldn't believe her. Or they would just ignore her. They were in the kitchen talking about it, and I had been in the other room watching cartoons. And I walk as I walk in, and I don't think they realized it, they were saying oh, you know, it was a suicide, and, and Chepis, he knew her. Chepis is my dad. That's his nickname. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? Don't worry about it, don't worry about it. They're just, they're just telling a story. 
But Taylor was pretty sure her parents weren't just telling a story. They knew something about the house, about the haunting. And then... Middle of the night, dead asleep, and I awoke just suddenly. And she was hovering over me, kind of like the way a skydiver hovers as they're descending. And I could see her very vividly. She wasn't in spirit form. She was very much flesh and blood. And she was looking at me very intently. And she had these just locks of very, very dense, curly, blonde hair. And she was very young-looking, like a very young-looking adolescent, almost childlike. And she was wearing a very flowy blue and white dress. And she was just staring at me. I felt a piercing look towards me. It wasn't friendly by any means. And I started screaming. And my husband turned on the lights. And she went away. I was extremely shaken when I told my husband what I saw he was like he was in shock and that's when he said you just described Libby our kids did start to ask questions about who this lady was as a parent you mean you always want to protect your kids You know, there was a part of me that didn't necessarily want them to feel, you know, scared or spooked. I do feel that I was always seeking that truth about why my house was haunted. But, you know, in the end, I mean, the truth usually surfaces anyway, so. One summer, Taylor had surgery on her leg, and she was lying in bed. Her doctor had put her on bed rest. In my bed all day in this room, alone on the other side of the house from everyone else, I would keep the shutters closed. I was just kind of always in the dark. Lying in the dark, all Taylor could think about was the ghost in her house. Who was she? Now that she had a lot of time on her hands, she decided she would try to find out. I found a newspaper archive of newspaper issues from way back in the 60s. And I was spending just hours and hours searching and searching until finally I got to an obituary page. And I remember seeing her name for the first time. And there was almost this relief to it. I remember it saying, Libby died on this date by fire. Fire occurred in a storage room in the back of the property where they kept, they had horses on the property, they kept saddles, they kept feed, they kept different hay. The circumstances surrounding her death were very mysterious. 
when she was found, she was found with a saddle on top of her body and there had been a fire around her. And some speculated it was suicide and some speculated it was a cover-up that she had overdosed on some sort of drug. It just felt like this one weird piece of the puzzle just fit right in. And I had her name and I knew that she had died by fire and I knew that that she was the one, that she was the one causing all these problems, that this restlessness and this anger was coming from her. Taylor held on to this information for three years. She didn't say a thing to her brother, her mom, or her dad. And then one night, at dinner with family friends at their favorite restaurant, she finally had the guts to bring it up. And so she asked... And her dad broke down and told her about Libby, his friend, and about how, when he first bought the house, he had knocked down the barn where she died. He felt like he couldn't keep it. He felt like there was too much... There was just something there that he, that he didn't want around. So he had them knock down the walls, and he had them take out the slab foundation, cover it with dirt, and he felt like, there, it was done and buried... They weren't, he didn't have to worry about it. And he felt like that would keep everything at rest. He felt like that would, that it would kind of cleanse it, but it didn't. It really didn't. I didn't realize that she knew as much as she knew. So when did you discover that she knew as much as she knew? When you told me. <laughs> Just now. <laughs> I think we're keeping a few secrets here in this family, but um, maybe not telling the kids wasn't the best decision. It was, you know, good intentions on our part, but maybe we should have um, explained to it, you know, on their terms so that it would give them an understanding and a perspective of maybe why things were happening the way they were happening. The family has since put the home up for sale, and they've moved to a different house. You know, we left a few things there, and it hasn't been sold yet. Just as recently as a few weeks ago, my son Joseph went to the house to get shoes, and he went in, went to grab the shoes, and heard a bang, like somebody just kind of banging on the wall, but light. And then as he was walking through the house, it just got louder and louder to the point where it was deafening, and he just bolted out of there. So I think whatever's there wants to be left alone. Thank you, Jennifer and Taylor, for sharing your story. Folks, these wonderful women are spook listeners. We are so grateful they shared their supernatural experience with us because mysteries abound. And if you have a ghost story in your back pocket, don't keep it to yourself. No, share it with the world. Let us know at spookpodcast.org. Oh, yes. Stores are not just for the Halloween season. Spooked can be enjoyed all year round. 
If you need more stories from beyond the veil, fear not. Spook Season 6 is here, available on the Luminary Channel on Apple Podcasts. That's apple.co slash spook. Apple.co slash spook. Not dot com. Dot co slash spook. And remember, you can hit follow on the show on Apple so you never miss a new release. And yes, yes. You will get stopped on the street and they will ask you where you got that cool snap pin or that stylish spooked hat. Tell them snapjudgment.org. Let the dark side know you spook with some spooked gear. The t-shirt of your dreams available right now. Snapjudgment.org. Spook was created by the team drawn toward the dark heart of the force. Except for Mark Ristich. He doesn't understand. You can't wear flip-flops in the woods. There's Anna Sussman, Eliza Smith, Chris Hambrick, Amy Nguyen, Lauren Newsom, Leon Morimoto, Davy Kim, Renzo Gorio, Taylor Ducat, Marissa Dodge, Zoe Frigno, Tiffany Deliza, Ann Ford, Doug Stewart, and Isaiah Sims. The spook theme song is by Pat Messini Miller. My name is Ben Washington. Understand. There's always a fork in the road, whether you see it or not. Whether you are careful or clever or inspired or blind, you only know you've wandered from the path after it is far too late to turn back. Be prepared. Teach your children so they will know the oldest and the simplest weapon against the eternal dark is to never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever turn out the lights.